Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips. A lot of the dating advice for men is essentially about how to be an alpha. A lot of the ideas are these kind of kind of adverts of you can be an alpha too. It's about what do you need to change? This is what you need to do to be an alpha male and get all the girls. Um, and then it's even for the women, it's um, this is the this is the kind of woman that you have to be to attract an alpha male. So what is an alpha male? Theory goes that an alpha male is um, that this comes from wolf packs, and an alpha male is the leader of the pack. He keeps his place by being the strongest, by being the most manly, most masculine wolf. His choice of the women, he gets his choice. Of, he gets the so, as some of you know, I got a, a dog recently. Um, and when you're looking at dog training, back when I had a dog, when we had a dog before with um, our young children, um, and so I did quite a lot of research. And what I found is basically training is based on dominance theory. The idea that you have to always win in a fight with your dog, you always have to keep him lower. You always have to make so a lot of the dating advice is about being an alpha male. A lot of uh, female advice is how do you get an alpha male? As if the idea it, it comes from the basis that if you're a man and you can be an alpha male, you get everything you want. If you're um, if you're desirable enough as a woman, um, you can attract an alpha male and you'll get everything that you want. So where I started going was when I looked at dog training, a lot of it is based on dominance theory to be the alpha of the pack. Um, and if he doesn't see the alpha of that, he won't respect you. He'll think he's the alpha. He'll get stressed and he'll think like he can bite you and keep you in line. So there's all these kind of things like you never let him be higher. You never let him win a fight. You, um, you eat first. Well, so then when I was looking around now at dog training, there's a lot of, okay, so first of all, I just want to go through another couple of things. That, so we're going to go on a tap. My internet connection is unstable. Can you hear me? Okay, let me know if I freeze up. Um, okay, so we're going to go on a tangent that is kind of related, but one of the quirks of my personality types is I'm really logically pedantic. Like if something is untrue, it bothers me. Um, you might have noticed. Um, okay, so we live in a culture that's kind of democratic. And the problem with dem democracy is that what it means is that the, what the masses understand um, becomes like the mass market is kind of, you, you have to sort of dumb down a little because it's what's understandable. So when there's been analysis of American presidents, people like Trump get in because it's make America great again. If you can have like a three or four word slogan, um, it makes it so simple. When you look at Brexit, Boris's campaign was, um, I can't even remember what it was, but it was really basic and simple. And so when you look at the best-selling books, it's never actually the best book, but it's the easiest to consume. Like the easiest to consume book, that's that's pretty good.
Um, so there is a lot of stuff that goes about that isn't actually true. So who's heard about the, the Yale study um, of the 3% people who, who write their goals down? So there's this book, there's this thing, this study that's um, that's talked about in lots of popular books. And what I say is there was a study in Yale um, and 3% of the cohorts had written their goals down. And when they came back 20 years later, those 3% owned more and were more successful than all the other 97% combined. So that study um, from Yale never actually happened. Um, and Yale wrote something saying, I don't know where this came from. It's not, it's not true. It's never happened. There's never been such a study. Um, and so basically it looks like it was in a couple of people like Brian Tracy and Tony Robbins. And Fast Company did this research and they went to Tony Robbins and they said, well, where did you get it from? It's in your book. And they go, oh, we don't know. Maybe Zig Ziglar said it. Um, then they went to Zig Ziglar and they said, well, we, we can't know for sure. Um, he reads a lot. Try Tony Robbins. Um, and they went to Brian Tracy and Brian Tracy said, oh, well, that should be true. Um, so there's this study that everyone looks at um, that's completely untrue. There's also another study um, on communication. Um, and this is a uh, study was originally done by, um, I think it was Bird Whistle. Um, like who's heard the story of only 7% of communication is verbal and the rest is nonverbal. So it's like 38% tonality, 53% um, body language. Well, actually, the research was flawed. What they actually what they actually did in the research was it was one word. What they got with, uh, this woman to, to say maybe in three different ways. So there were so that's the reason why there's no language. So um, Albert Mahabrin, who was who did the analysis that this was all taken from, um, and he retracted it and he and he, he said like my findings have been misquoted. Clearly, it's absurd to imply or suggest that the verbal proportion of all communication constitutes only 7% of the message. Suppose I want to tell you that the eraser you're looking for is in the second um, desk of my, second drawer of my desk. How could anyone contend that the verbal part of the message is only 3% of the message? The reason why I'm going into that um, is to set up this whole idea that everyone takes that there's this alpha male. Um, and the idea of the alpha male comes from research in 1930s and 40s on wolves um, by uh, Schenkel. And it was popularized in a book by David Meech. And David Meech um, wrote this book and he talked about the alpha male. But he then wrote another book in 1999 and he's been trying to retract or get his publishers to take back the whole idea of an alpha wolf. Because, well, actually, I'm going to share the, the video. It's a short video, so... Really accurate when uh, describing most of the um, leaders of, of wolf packs, uh, because uh, it implies, the term implies, uh, that uh, the wolves fought and um, competed strongly to get to the top of the pack. 
in actuality, the way they get there is merely by mating with a member of the opposite sex, uh, producing a bunch of offspring, which are the rest of the pack then, and uh, becoming the natural leaders that way, just like with a pair of humans producing a family. Instead of using the term alpha for a wolf, instead of saying alpha male or alpha female, uh, scientists now tend to call wolves like that the breeding male and the breeding female. And, um, or you can call them the mother wolf and the father wolf. There's really nothing wrong with that. Uh, those are much better and more accurate terms than the term alpha. Actually, um, you know, I'm uh, very much to blame for the term alpha being used with wolves. Um, I published a book in 1970 that now has over 110,000 copies in circulation, and in that I labeled the top uh, wolf in the pack the alpha. And I did that because at that time that's all that science knew. But uh, we've learned a lot. That, pub that book was published in 1970 and in the 35 years since that time uh, we've learned an awful lot. One of the things we've learned is that the term alpha is really uh, incorrect when applied to most uh, wolf pack leaders. It's, a, it's appropriate to use the term alpha uh, in an artificial pack where, uh, you know, you might put many wolves um, from different assemblages together, unrelated wolves and that kind of thing. Then they would form a pecking order or, or a dominance hierarchy, and, and you could call the top animal at that point the alpha. But that, that rarely happens in the wild, if ever. And um, so, you know, that would be one case where you could use it. Another case is where you have a, what we call a um, complex pack or a multiple uh, or a pack with multiple breeders. Uh, in Yellowstone, for example, there have been some packs that have had as many as three breeding females. And in that case, you can call the, the top-ranking female, who would usually be the mother, uh, you can call that animal the alpha female, but uh, you know, looked at in, a, in the perspective of uh, wolf packs in general around the world and all, um, that rarely happens. Okay, so the whole idea of alpha, alpha male, alpha, alpha female doesn't actually happen. It does. It doesn't actually happen in naturally. Um, but where alpha male can come in is in more complicated societies. So it can come in more complicated societies like chimpanzees. Chimpanzees get, um, they can have uh, alpha males, but that's because the society has become more complex. And so now it's, it's about, there's a battle for resources. Um, but actually the, the alpha male is in chimpanzees is the one that can form the coalition is the one that can politically um so often they talk about it's the strongest male but often there's an older chimp behind the, uh, behind the like young male who has engineered the situation for the male to get um position um so the alpha male then has to um has to it becomes political so there's another video um that talks about the alpha males in, in chimpanzees um, and essentially they say that when an alpha male is going to bid like he's going to fight for alpha male or has they become political they start showing an interest in the children to win over the, the females they they start um offering favors 
they start sharing food. Um, so the idea of that there's this one, like this great per- person, um, and then, so like when I was looking around at this, there is there's these groups to be alpha male, right? The very idea of having a group to be alpha male is like, how can you have a group of alpha males? The an alpha male is the one that like the top of it, and they go, yeah, we're going to teach you, and we're all going to be alpha males. Well, how can you all be alpha males? Um, so there's this idea now, romantic novels and films show this idea of, of the romance of, of the alpha male. And really what it's about is like this wild man that this woman is so captivating that she can tame him. Um, and she can change him. It's really about an alpha. Uh, well, I think an alpha male is about access to resources. Uh, an alpha male is supposed to, supposedly someone who's successful, powerful, has status, has money, um, has good genes, has confidence, is assertive. But what's happened is people. There's also like a myth of the great self-made man. It's like one of the George, one of uh, one, I think the younger George Bush in his presidential run talked about how he was a self-made man. His dad was the president. Um, he was born a millionaire. Donald Trump had most of his money given to him from his dad. Um, and he talks about being a self-made man. Um, so, but there is this idea which goes along with alpha male of being of like some people are better. Some people that had just born and they just have it. And it, it, people talk about things like people like Mozart and Leonardo da Vinci and people like this, as if they're different from everyone else. And I think Malcolm Gladwell and well, first Anders Ericsson, Malcolm Gladwell and uh, Owen Coyle, I think it is um, in the talent code and outliers talked about um so malcolm gladwell talked about steve jobs bill gates larry ellison from oracle and about how they became so wealthy because they were lucky to be born in a generation they had access to computers at an early age like bill gates used to code because his mum worked at a college he he had access to a computer which no one had and he could code from like evening till 3am um every night for years um and so he had that um, amount of practice and knowledge at the time when computers became when it when technology became possible for computers to take off so he was able to acquire or to know to acquire the operating system he being able to sell it in the same way steve jobs um, grew up at the right time in the right location that he was able to take his design skills and create something. Um, so Malcolm Gladwell talks a lot about um, hockey players, football players. They're often born within a few months. And it's because the cutoff for when they get picked for a team means that they're, these ones who were born earlier are bigger stronger, therefore better. 
when there's less skill involved. And so then they get picked at about 13. Um, they get intense coaching for the next five years. So they, they become so much better than the others. There's um, um, in the same way that the, um, I think it's Owen Coyle talks about the, um, in the talent code, talks about the Russian, like there's a Russian academy that produces so many tennis players. And it's because of the way that they train. People aren't necessarily better. Like there's no great man that's going to be the alpha and there's no great person that's going to be self-made. But there are certain qualities and certain attributes that are more attractive. Now, with that said, um, does anyone want to share anything that they were discussing or any thoughts on or insights you have on the idea of alpha male and... I've got some thoughts on it. And sorry, I was late. Um, uh, I had to polish my uh, gold chains and, uh, you know, brush my chest hair and all the other stuff, you know, before I came. So I was a bit late. But sorry, I had to also get my Porsche parked up. But first of all, have you done your yoga and your meditation (laughs) and breathing? That was this morning. That was this. I had to get up at 3 a.m. for that. Um, so, I mean, the, the way I think about it is that uh, I don't fully ag- agree. I don't, uh, and maybe that's not what you were saying, but I, I think some people are good at being self-made. And in some ways, take Donald Trump, for example, he has started with some amount of money, but he's made it into a heck of a lot. And people like Alan Sugar and, you know, uh, Virgin Atlantic Post and all the rest of them, they started, some of them started from a lot humbler beginnings, although albeit perhaps more privileged than we are. And they made them into some, you know, they really increased their incomes. Whether one should aspire to be like them or not is another matter. Um, So I think some people are better at doing certain things than others and that's a fact of life and you know and some of it you can get better by being lucky being in the right place having the right knowledge and so on and some of it because you have a natural knack so i reckon it's a combination of nurture and nature but i think if somebody is wanting to be the best of the best in a destructive way and the stereotypical sense in the alpha male alpha female is i can do what i want more or less because i am it and therefore everyone has to like me because i'm it Uh, i think that perhaps either says that they got they're either full of themselves or they are uh, very inconfident and only way they can do it is trying to impress others in some, you know, facade. That's the way I'm seeing it. And if that is impressing the other sex, whether it's male or female, it doesn't really matter. Then I think that probably shows that there is some character deficiency in the other, other sex, that they are attracted to that kind of a person who is clearly not displaying any good values. Because it's not about being dominant in something. I mean, 
you know, if you've got desires in terms of taking over the world, maybe that's a required kind of thing. But, um, you know, if you're just trying to get by in life and have a deep connection with somebody in a relationship, then perhaps <laughs> wanting to fight, I mean, wanting to fight with the other person for dominance is not necessarily the thing to do. I mean, it will be silly to say who won in your relationship, you know, in your fight, who won. Um, and so I, I suppose the bottom line for me is that people are going to be good at things and, you know, good luck to them with that. And I wouldn't take anything away from people who work hard to achieve something so long as they did it with morals and didn't do it illegally. But also at the same time, I think that if people are aspiring to be alpha something, male or female, or being attracted by that, I think that probably shows there is some form of character deficiency on both parties. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think making money is a skill. Um, and yeah, yeah, definitely there's people that are better at certain things. But when you look at Jeff Bezos, uh, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, they've all come from America. So you don't see someone from, or, um, or never heard of someone from Ethiopia or Vietnam who's come out with a multi-billion pound company. So some of it is the fact that we, we're in a position like that gives us the opportunities. I mean, un undoubtedly, I mean, like Jeff Bezos is a genius, like from his very first annual report, he's showed like exactly the model of what he was going to do. Um, and to be able to do that is, is amazing. Um, Elon Musk to do from PayPal to Tesla to SpaceX and to everything else he's in. Um, but what I'm really talking about, the idea of the, the alpha male is like I've seen in, in Facebook groups of a lot of men just become misogynist um, and they say, oh, well, um, uh, um, and if someone disagrees with them, it's like you're a beta. Um, and it's like this. Like a lot of people I, I, I find in spiritual circles are like I'm so much, much more spiritual. A lot of men get into this thing of I'm more alpha. Um, and so then the point I'm really trying to get at is there's this misguided idea of what it takes um, to be a man that's successful in a relationship. Um, and what that leads to is a lot of men feel that they have to behave in a certain way. Um, and when one per, when people start to behave in a different way, um, then it, like if, if people stop being themselves, that's where connection breaks down. Um, and when you feel that you have to play a role, that's what leads to disconnection ultimately. Shouldn't we look at confidence? Um, as a key part of this type of behavior, lack thereof or presence of. Um, you have people who don't look like the typical 
image of what an alpha pers person would be like. And um, if you were to dig beneath the surface, you may find a very insecure person. And you can see somebody who doesn't fit the image or the perceived image of an alpha male, and yet still they're quietly confident. And in that respect, they are sure of themselves. They um, exhibit a lot of the other characteristics that we would associate with an alpha male in terms of being able to lead, to you know, be sure of their decision making, take risks, et cetera, et cetera. Because face it, Jeff Bezos does not look like an alpha male. He's rather strange looking. I would not think of him as an alpha male, but he's successful and he does. And Elon Musk looks like a geek. Bill Gates worse. I mean, come on, but we are all, we're calling them all alpha males, you know? Hey, geeks are cool, man. <laughs> Who? I wouldn't see not with him. Look. Look at this post I've got. Eat, sleep, game, repeat. And I'm an alpha. I've got alpha male traits. So it <laughs> doesn't matter if you're, you know, you're a geek. You know. No, I'm just saying that um, some people think that, well, as they say, a, 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 a rich man, how is it? What's the saying? Um, a, 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 a rich man, even if he's ugly, will get the girl. Right, because um, he can't be unattractive because he's got lots of money. Maybe that gives him confidence. Maybe, maybe so he's actually an alpha male because he's got um, that knowledge behind him and he's got the money to back it up. So, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but it's contextual, isn't it? Yep. So, you know, if you put Bill Gates on a football field, he is not going to be alpha in any sort of way. His legs look gangly already. But you put him in a, a, a tech circle and he's going to come out top. So it's contextual. I think the thing that stood out most from what Rob said and the one that I think applies most largely is that within chimps, it becomes political. So in my observation, I would say that the alpha is able to um, have social cohesion, be able to be subtly manipulative, meaning that he gets people to do what they want within that group or project or purpose. Um, and he retains a sort of distance, but also a level of likability that, you know, people are going to do things for him based on that. So, yeah, I, I think it, it varies on the context. And there are so many models. We can't just hold one model. Like, you know, the very basic model would have been the strong man who then got the girl and then uh, the rich guy who got all the chicks. And then perhaps in more modern times, the smartest guy in the room who, who was able to manoeuvre this society in this world through his intellect, Elon Musk's. So with that said, I, I feel it is all contextual and where it's applied. In the other video that um, I've got about the chimps, he talks about one chimp of Amos. Um, about how when he get when he got overthrown um, by a younger chimp, um, and again this was in captivity, so we don't know how how um, valid it is. Um, but when he got overthrown, they would all all the others came and they would feed him, and the women would put things behind his back, and it was because they loved him because he looked after them, um, and. 
the old style of leadership tends to be like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, where they just scream at people and shout at people and, and um, like they know better. But actually most, the, the best leaders are the ones who look after the pack. It's, it's the ones that the pack feel safest. And so when you look at wolves, um, actually the alpha, it's not the alpha wolf, but the breeder wolf, um, is the one at the back. He watches um, the like the breeder male isn't the one who eats first. The young eat first. Um, so the ones who are most loved, the ones who are most successful, are the ones who look after, who can best look after the pack. So it's like you earn your right from your ability to look after others. Um, and I, I often remember there's a quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. And so Napoleon Bonaparte, he like was the most powerful man in the world at that, at this time. And then he got overthrown and he was exiled to Sardinia, I think it was. Um, and from there, he had a lot of time to reflect. And he said, I remember one of his quotes, he said, people like me, Alexander the Great, um, Julius Caesar, we commanded great armies, we had great um, forces, we had great power. But as soon as we crumbled, like everyone forgot us. Um, look at Jesus Christ. And he said that that, that man who, who had no army, fought no one, um, and yet he still has millions of people love him and follow him to this day. Um, Janos. Uh, if you think it's that's all about what it's the power versus force, because the force it's about goes behind the fear. And if you think the real power, when you empowering other people, when you encouraging them, when you make them to do things in their own way, you actually dare support them but you not do instead of them. And that's when you are a real leader. A real leader, it's actually encouraging everybody. Show them, let them to do it, and let them to do it, because that's how you earn trust, by letting others to do. And they, they learn themselves. They learn how to show, how to be the best themselves. They spend enough time in their own personality. They're confident with themselves. Even if they need to be a week alone just with themselves, they're okay with that. They're not fear from themselves. So many few people having inside that fear, they can't live with themselves. They have to be busy to not listen to the voice in their head. That voice in the head, it's a powerful things. It's, um, I think really there is a hierarchy of um, power. Um, and the lowest form of power is physical force. Because physical force only has any power while, um, while it's a threat. Because once you actually use it, there's nowhere you can really go. Just like nuclear nuclear bomb only has any value as a threat because as soon as you use it, you've destroyed somewhere. So there's, there's nothing you can do in the same way. 
if someone's scared of you from physical force, they'll avoid you. They won't do, they'll do like they'll comply. But the point where you push them past that, um, the force no longer has any threat. So then, so threats like um, social, uh, like social um, force, um, things like that, because underneath it, so like if you look at political, like what do we use force now? We have a police force. Um, and the police force is to back up the authority of the government or the queen. Um, and that's really a physical threat. But we don't come out straight away with the physical threat. We come out with, um, you're going to get this punishment. Um, and so what you've got is you've got layers of threat, layers, which is layers of force. And that's really the more layers of force that you have, the stronger things become. Because like Anna says, once you actually use force, so like China, when they used force, you then have like the Tiananmen Square um, uh, incidents. And so like as a country, we have, I mean, our history is based on conquering other countries and pillaging and um, getting rich off the wealth of other other places and we haven't taken over another country or invaded another country for i don't know uh 150 200 years and it's because we cut we would lose um political capital by using force um and so the more complex a society becomes the more it's about politics, um, and that politics is backed up by force. It has to be, um, but raw force is like the is showing weakness. Because if someone uses violence, it means they got nothing else. It's kind of gone off on another tangent, um, but I think Iroh really pointed out something valid in that. So we've got two sides. We've got men feel that they need to be something, an alpha. Um, but then there's the idea of women, 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 or <laughs> women who are um, feeling that they want an alpha. And so, so what's that about? What is the alpha characteristics that women are attracted to? I can speak for myself. Hello, I've been here for a while. Hello, guys. Um, nice to see you again. Yeah, great. Um, to me, I think it's about being a human being, not a human doing. It's not about being in a role. It's about interchanging roles at a particular time in a particular context. So I'll give you a specific example. If I fell over and hurt my leg and injured it and needed to go to hospital, what I found attractive about one of my boyfriends is that he immediately took control of the situation and it was calm and was caring um and just did the doing he didn't kind of fret or you know panic not that there's anything wrong with being scared at all that's quite alpha to say I feel scared and I'm going to do it anyway I think that's quite common in alphas to feel the fear and do it anyway but 
yeah and, and then and then on another occasion it might be me that does that you know that I, I've got an alpha in me as well I'm an alpha female I think but I can also be a very vulnerable caring I've got it's the whole range like if you had a piano and you took all the keys away it wouldn't make a very good piece of music would it I think it's like being a whole human being with the whole range of feelings, the whole range of emotion, and then being able to be anything at any particular time. You've got a really strong team. If you've got, if say my next boyfriend really supports me about being a bit alpha sometimes, and then I can be really feminine at other times, that's, that's a really strong team right there, you know? It's not stuck in a groove. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I think it's an acknowledgement that we are complex. There are several layers to us and more so in the past, some of our attributes weren't allowed to shine through. And I'm speaking of men in particular. Um, it's not that they, they didn't have those characteristics. I don't think suddenly men have, you know, grown breasts or some, you know, something new and different. I, I think that social conditioning suppressed certain attributes from being hailed as being something that was um, admirable in men. And maybe in the days when you had to lift your swords and go and decapitate and do all sorts of things, you had to bury um, some of those attributes in order to do those kinds of things. But we, I think now we are expected to show more of ourselves. We are giving each other the freedom and the space to do so. And um, it's, as Sam said, sometimes um, you can show some characteristics and I can show the other others as a female. And um, I think that's what we are doing now. It's, it's, it's a bit of a song and a dance. And I don't know that we need to decide that this is not manly and this is uh, manly versus, you know, what's feminine and what's not feminine. I think we are all allowed to express things along a whole spectrum of emotions and and realities mm. yeah um i think there is there is an element of biology in it uh, an element of attraction isn't something that we do consciously um and so i think i think the appeal if you look at romantic heroes is I think there is an element of domin um, dominance, um, and I think that speaks to something of um, something that Sandra alluded to in that women weren't always like, particularly women weren't always allowed to be show their sexuality. Um, and what a dominant male does is takes charge, and so then it's like it makes it okay for the woman to be sexual because it's kind of in overpowering in that sense. And so, um, so there's that sense where it allows a woman to express herself. Um, I think it's like Sarah said of someone who'll take charge when you need them to, 
someone who can make decisions, someone who who can make you and make um, the woman feel. And I'm being very sexist, and and not all relationships are male, female, and that. But um, in the when we're talking the mainstream, um, there's that characteristic of make them feel safe, not. Like I think not being another child that the woman has to mother. Um, Carl. Yeah, I just noticed a couple of mistakes in language. I'll also share um, something that um, I kind of picked off the net some time ago. Um, But do you think that dominance necessarily is synonymous with um, what we're describing as alpha? But somebody can be dominant without being an alpha. Somebody can dominate a room or uh, a group or uh, physically, but it doesn't necessarily give them alpha status, does it? Um, my, my, like what I was trying, the message I was trying to get across is the whole idea of alpha is misguided. There, I, I think there isn't really an alpha. Because if you're talking about alpha, okay, it's Boris Johnson. Um, because that's who has got has been voted by everyone else to be the figurehead of power um and whether we think Boris Johnson is that alpha male I've seen him on a rugby pitch against five-year-olds so um he's really sexy (laughs) sorry I said he does have a nice girlfriend I will say I think she's a tad too young for him but um let me see if I can share my screen one second hold on uh let me uh I just check you got permission. Hang on, uh, let me change the settings. Okay. Right. So, um, desktop. Yeah. I should have put a picture of Boris Johnson on the uh, Alpha Myth. Right. Can you see that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me just change it. Yes. Yeah. So this is a model. I'm not saying it's my model. I'm not saying I necessarily agree. But take away, um, you know, um, just some of the words of it. What it espouses is that um, alpha masculinity is based on strength and female um, alpha is based on goodness. And these are sort of like the qualities in between. It does also say that there needs to be a balance of feminine and masculine within this, but more predominantly. So for a man, it would be strength, confidence, assertiveness, energy for achievement, endurance, dignity, curiosity, decisiveness, focus, and reason. And you can see what's on the other side for females. And then on the other hand, but this is that model of strength, which is not very diverse or, um, you know, a full picture. Things like being weak, self-loathing, angry, intimidated, boastful, reckless, indecisive, and cowardness um, or cowardice. So... Yeah, that, that was one of the models you were talking about with strength, wasn't it? Um, I just really hate when they put divine. Um, and then yeah. I, I just really like, it's like the, the Hendrix, they really, I can't listen to them because it's very like Californian. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> See, I think when we're moving towards the age of choice, I think you can be whatever you want. Um, I think... Um, there's this whole like gender fluid. Um, I think why not be masculine, feminine, whatever. Um, I think really what that talks about is about above the line and below the line. 
because there's always, like Janos said, um, David Hawkins' idea of being above the line. Um, and I think... Sorry, sorry to butt in. I think what... I think Carl Jung talked about the integration of the masculine and feminine, which is kind of what you're saying, Rob, that why not be both? Like, why not go from feminine to masculine? It's not about becoming one polar thing, like a, the two polar opposites, is it? It's kind of, I believe, in the integration of masculine and feminine to become like a whole human being. I think the more I've accepted both my masculine and feminine, the more ironic, the more softer I've become, not soft in the traditional feminine, but the more comfortable and confident I've become in myself because I've accepted all of those parts. I think when people um, like men maybe think they have to be this idea of an alpha, ironically, they actually repress their true alpha male because I can't remember who it was just now that said that to me, the alpha is the one that sits, sits back in the group with all the wisdom in the world, with all the experience, but not necessarily has to be pushing it on other people. I, and, and women watch, you know, like the observation is not about intellectual verbalization. It's about sitting back and really observing. Uh, that's been my experience. Quietly confident. Yeah, I, I think... For me, um, I think you you have a blueprint, and it's about creating, finding who you are, and <clears throat> creating the environment and the context for you to bloom in the best way that you can. Like if you're a plant, like you, if you like use an analogy of a plant seed, a plant just in the right context, it just blooms and blossoms and so it's about being more of who you are rather than saying oh masculine feminine i need to be this i need to be this um and i think we've come from an like i talk about the age of control and we've come from a time when how many homosexual people had to hide um what they were and how they felt because they didn't fit this idea. Um, how many people um, like weren't able to express themselves because of the structures and the values of society? Um, and I think it's really about now, it's not about trying to fit a mould, but it's trying to find your... Um, I'm always reminded of Michelangelo, um, when he was sculpting, um, they said, like, where, where do you, like, how do you create this? How do you make this thing? And he said, I didn't make it. It was already there. I just chipped away the surplus. And I think the idea of, like, when people are dating, looking at this dating advice and they're going, oh, I need to be this, I need to do this. I think the biggest problem in relationships is people think they need to manipulate external circumstances when really the biggest block is inside them and it, it's understanding the block that's stopping you um, from being who you want and having the relationship that you want. Um, and in, in the same way as Michelangelo like chipped away the surplus, we have to take away from our operating system the bugs that hold us back. 
So this idea, like in the graphic that Carl showed of being weak and being whatever, is because we're scared and we're scared because of something that someone put in or our observations that, that are misguided of us growing up. Um, Janos. It's quite a few things are right what you say. However, I would describe it slightly different way. I think what everybody does, they try what others are doing rather than check what the others are doing, learn from that, reflect it and do it in your own way and try it in your own way. Because you can only learn as much from others as much you see. You need to make it in your own way in order to fit for your belief system and for your body, for your mentality, for your, for your whole self. As I always say to my team, I can give my knowledge, my shirt, but they have to tailor it for themselves. Yeah, I, I think um, there was a lot of, like in business, there was a lot of uh, Japanese-influenced things like Kaizen, Kanban, all of those techniques and things that um, management consultants studied in, in Japan and then tried to bring over. And a lot of them failed because they didn't understand, like it was organic to the Japanese culture, which was very different to, say, the American or, or culture here. And so when they translated it, it didn't really work um, in a lot of cases. Um, yeah, and, and, and so you, I remember there's a quote of like saying, like, the, the, next, the next big business won't be Amazon or Facebook um, it's going to be something completely different, but everyone's, you know, like when Facebook became big, everyone tried to copy that and there was all these other social networks. Well, that's been done in the same way Amazon's been done. Um, but it's about what, what's in you, um, and what's organic for you and how can you, um, create the right circumstances for that. Can I just go back to um, Carl's list? Um, are women expected to be the holy mother, whatever, all the characteristics in the top side there is talking about, yeah, the divine, you know, um, as being good. I'm female, I'm assertive. Is that bad for me then using that list? Because that's over on the other side in the male column. It's just a list. It's not gospel. No, it's not that. It's not about that. It's just a list. It's what it, it, it it's, 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 it's what it um, is describing in general that are desirable, should be, or seem to be desirable attributes of the feminine person. And what did it say at the top? Um, it said 60-40% split, didn't it? So both. Cannot, that, yeah, but that, but if I just look at the list, and maybe I need to look back at the list again, but my initial thinking was, oh my God, I don't fit that list. I'm not <laughs> this lovely, cuddly, submissive, wonderful. I am 
You know what I am. I speak my mind. I am assertive. I know what I want. I don't fit into that. I mean, no man is going to tell me what to do without me arguing. Ah. And, and that's not true, actually, because I can be told if I respect you and I know that you um, you mean me well. I will. I'm very easy. But if I don't, I am going to argue with you until the cows come home i'm not giving in but so that list just doesn't work for me if you see what i'm saying i i, I just think that we need a new list <laughs> another list to describe us those of us who sit somewhere between the male and the female <laughs> sandra i would like to join to your list okay <laughs> thank you <laughs> 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 but it, but the reason why I'm saying this is just that I think that um, if we conform to those things, we are building in some negative feelings in us as females that if we find ourselves um, not having too many of those attributes, then what are we doing wrong? Where did, you know, what's wrong with us? Um, and if we are perceived to be like that then maybe we are we need to change and hell i'm not going to change i'm too old <laughs> come on i use this excuse already so <laughs> i'm too old to change <laughs> Well, I guess Rob's reason for bringing this up was because of the false information out there about, you know, impressionable people who are assuming, oh, I'll get this if I become this alpha or this model. Um, but I don't know who's falling for that. But um, yeah, and I've heard these guys, I've seen them. It's it's interesting, but it's, it's all sort of very loose crap psychology. And um, what they're usually getting is just getting laid with simple mind tricks as opposed to sort of long-term relationships from what I can see. Um, but yes, it's a good thing for people to be aware of that this is a paradigm that stops people from really coming from their heart or who they are genuinely and trying to create a model in their mind of what they think will work or create an impressionable person on somebody else. I I think really, if you look at, if, if you were to look at commercials, I don't know. I mean, does anyone watch TV anymore and see commercials? Um, but if you look at the commercials, it's like it's appealing to to women or for makeup, cosmetics. Um, it's appealing to men for like, watches, cars, um, which plays on the idea that you, as a man, you've got to be successful. Um, as a man, you've got to be seen to be in control. Um, as a woman, you've got to be um, beautiful and you've got to be, now you've got to be the career woman and do the housework and have the perfect kids. Um, but so there's this underlying, um, but what it all plays on is an insecurity that all of us have that we're unlovable that there's something that's going to stop us from being loved. And the truth is that 
if there is something that's stopping you from being loved, it's inside. It's your belief that it's not going to happen. It's your belief of there's something about you that's unlovable. And we've all grown up being told to shut up, being told that we're not good enough, not as good as our brother, not as good as um, whoever, um, that we're not living up to our parents or whatever it is. And so there's this fragility. And where there is that sense of, like, shame, that creates like the new emperor's the emperor's new clothes. You know, like the fairy tale, where the, the emperor is naked, but he's told that only smart people can see him in his clothes. And until a kid shouts it out, no one says it because no one wants to be seen to be stupid. In the same way, no one wants to reveal their vulnerabilities because there's a sense of shame in them, and that fear is what prevents us from having the relationships that we want and because we're frustrated we look at other reasons and we we blame dating sites we blame there's no good men out there there's no no one's interested women are only after this um and all of these things are really just ways that we vent our frustration but it's really um, and but that makes us vulnerable to believe that oh I'm missing something I need to be an alpha male I need to um, be the woman that attracts alpha male I need to do this and so that's really the way that people sell to us and most of the economy is driven on keeping up with the Joneses um, getting laid or having a partner and. Um, being successful. It's like we're going to get a promotion if we do this, if we have this, if we're perceived in this way. And so people feel that they're not enough when really it's this systematic story that makes us not reveal our sense of shame. Um, And so we never really tackle that. And that is really the block that holds us back from everything that we want. Because if we didn't have that, we wouldn't be afraid of public speaking. We wouldn't be afraid of just being ourselves. And so that that's so many of the things that we buy. So it's like the, the old thing of we go to work to buy things to impress people that we don't really care about. Um, and it's all driven on a sense of insecurity. And so all of these things that you have to be something to, to be loved, you have to um, achieve this, you have to have this, all of this only works while there's this whole emperor's new clothes thing. But as you say, many of us, need well not many i think most if not all of us we need approval from others for our actions for various things for our successes etc but there are some people who find it very difficult to 
acknowledge people's um, when, when they do well, when they act in a certain way. And to my mind, when you're in a relationship where in your you cannot be applauded, you cannot your strengths cannot be acknowledged. Um, and it's not a, a praising fest where you know you're seeking validation every step of the way, but just to be acknowledged um, for what it is. I think it takes a very big toll on you eventually, especially if on the outside you're getting other signals. Because at home, that's if you are if you are comforted at home and you're comfortable and you feel secure at home, it is easier for you to deal with the difficulties outside. Mm. But if at home you're not validated, um, because yes, we can feel confident in ourselves that we are good at this and we're good at that. But nonetheless, it is um, it is cemented when people who are near and dear to you acknowledge that this is a part of you. You yeah. actually believe it. It's not flattery, like when somebody outside says, oh, but you're so blah, 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 blah. No, but when those that are nearest and dearest to you say to you, you, you 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 feel that it's been said with sincerity and that it is believed and so it reinforces your sense of self and self and and, and self-worth um yeah i know that you're not talking about this but i just want to point this out as, as relevant comes to mind when you look at facebook and instagram the popularity huge popularity is like the biggest social um, social movement since the internet is entirely based on the idea of needing validation. And I know that that's not what you're talking about, um, but it's part of, like, if I'm trying to put what you said in a context. Um, and I think... I think there's a subtle, there's a nuance to this um, in that, yes, you need to be acknowledged, but not even, but not for success, but just for who you are. Um, and where I used to talk about respect for, for those of you that have seen in a while, um, where I talked about respect, what I really mean is, um, is someone who sees who you are and appreciates you for who you are. Um, because I think the other side of it is that we're all seeking validation. Like you say, we're all seeking validation. And sometimes that validation is, con is because of a lack of belief in ourselves. So I think there's a nuance. I think that we, we need to be appreciated for who we are. Um, but there's also, in some cases, um, some people are using that. Because um, I know that you, you're talking about, it's like the, the Gottman's idea of the cocoon, like the relationship is a safe cocoon from, the, from a harsh world. So, um, yeah, I, I think that 
like when we talked, that is about feeling safe and seen. But there's also some people are looking for a relationship um, and they're looking for validation and they're getting on Facebook and and they're looking for a relationship to validate them to compensate. Um, so, so yeah, um, we need honest appraisal, but sometimes, um, people want, um, validation because they don't have it themselves. Um, I think Carl was first and then Nicole. It was just an interesting comment you made about saying that, um, you know, validation and acceptance and that people should be accepted but I, I unconditional love is usually something a parent and a child dynamic but in an actual relationship um do you think especially looking at divorce statistics we have the mindset and the skill set to appreciate somebody let's say you know who does have undesirable characteristics and qualities and say, well, I, I just accept you as that and that's how you are and that's okay. Considering that we are bred to be self-centered individuals through marketing and um, uh, consumerism. So I just find it a little bit odd that this whole thing around, oh, I, I accept everything, um, that that's a reality. Um, no, I don't think you accept the unacceptable. Um, because there's what someone is, you accept the essence of what someone is, but what, this is the line. When someone's operating below the line, that's unacceptable. And it's because they, they're lacking something because they're lacking some, this is the emotional capacity. So, um, I think you have to look at it in context. So a mum who's not slept for weeks, um, who's like doing all the work while the husband's out and, and whatever, um, when she operates below the line, it's because she's got no resources left. Um, so it's not about accepting the unacceptable, but it is seeing the core of who someone is. The core of who someone is is, is is unchangeable. So that's, this is where people get in a relationship and go, well, I like all of these things, but this one thing, if we can just change this one thing, you'll fit into my jigsaw. And, and I, I think the big paradigm a lot of people have is that they have, if my life is going to be perfect, and Daniel Schloss's jigsaw is the perfect way of describing this and what they're trying to do is they're trying to fit this piece into their jigsaw and it's not fitting it's going to just fit will you just change this will you just change this and it will slot in and and, and we'll be perfectly happy because this is my vision but someone else has got the same vision and they're trying to fit you into their jigsaw and so rather than have the jigsaw it's The, the whole basis of the jigsaw is a flawed idea. And so everything that you do from that creates the need to control. Whereas if you look at people as Lego bricks and you build the relationship 
And what you're doing is, so if someone does something that's unacceptable, then for you being honest, and I think that that graphic was about you're going to be honest and assertive and all of these things um, at your best. And so if someone's unacceptable, it's about saying, okay, what's up? You know, what, why are you behaving like that? Um, you know, what's going on? How can I help you? Um, and then when you understand what's going on behind that, you can understand why. Um, and then you can work out, and then it's working out, is it really who they are or is it just because they're having a shitty day? Um, and when you can figure that out and you get to the essence of two people, then you have to drop your dream. You have to drop your dream and stop trying to fit someone into your jigsaw and take the Lego bricks of who you are and build something new, build something that you wouldn't have with anyone else because it's the essence of you and the essence of them. So it's not accepting good and bad. It's accepting the essence. Um, you might not, the essence of who they are might not fit your dream. It might not be the jigsaw, but that dream is an illusion. And if you fit, if you take who they are, um, so being in a relationship, you should, so what I often say is you shouldn't have to grow. You shouldn't have to change for a relationship, but a good relationship will change you because the other person it's not about just taking it. It's about going, well, that's a bit shitty. You're you, like, you're below the line. What's up? Um, and in a good relationship, you should be able to like work out and go, maybe not in the moment, but afterwards, like, yeah, okay. I was just, I was having a bad day. I'd had a lot of stress at work and um, I was worried about this. I shouldn't have done that. And then, but what that does is in going deeper, it allows you to connect to who they really are and then that essence um, is you have to accept the essence. If someone's being shitty, um, then no, you shouldn't accept that. But ex accepting that, yes, just makes them worse because they think it's okay. It's like me with the dog downstairs. Um, if I let him do whatever he wants, um, one, I'll be bitten to shreds. Um, and But he'll just be a savage. Like he has to learn how to function um does that make sense yeah that was brilliant i think what you're saying is it boils down to communication and understanding uh, yeah. along with some level of reasonable boundaries like not yeah 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 so so you you so you like the whole thing of the relationship above the line is about freedom you let someone be who they are but you navigate according to that so um i don't like i don't think you should ever change anyone but you tell someone this is unacceptable this is i don't accept this um and then you can talk about it about whether it's unacceptable or whether they don't but it's yeah so you can't change someone but you can tell them what's unacceptable for you so you can't control their behavior but you can control how you navigate with them um nicole are you did you still have your hand up 
Sorry, I went on for quite a while. Hello. I thought, um, I thought you'd fallen asleep. <laughs> no comment. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I was just thinking earlier that everything that everyone was saying was reminding me of competition, I guess. Um, I don't know if this is relevant. I don't necessarily know how I'm feeling it's relevant, but mm. people competing with other people. So I remember back in um, through my studies in certain jobs where you were always encouraged to compete with everyone else. But I never really got that feeling. I never really, I, I just didn't get it, to be honest. It's like, I'll, I'll compete with myself almost to be the best that I can be. But I don't want to compete with other people. Um, mm. There was something else I was going to say from that to morph it in, but I can't bloody remember now. So, Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point. I think the idea of alpha is encouraging competition. Mm. <coughs> and I don't think, <coughs> I think... Um, some people are competitive. Um, I think particularly men. Um, the only way, not to say the only way, but the main way I can motivate myself is from competition. So the, the, the only way I can go, I can make going to the gym, the only part of going to the gym I enjoy is knowing that I'll do better. Um, and so I think comp competitiveness is, is like a personality type. Um, and it works for motivation, but it's, but I think the whole idea of that alpha, like the alpha myth makes people, so what you've got, and I think Neil Strauss is probably the person who best covers this because he's, he went into the, like the whole pickup community and became the alpha and, um, did all this stuff. Um, but, um, Yes, it's, it becomes false because there's a lot of preening and a lot of posturing. Um, so there's there's competitiveness that's healthy, and then there's competitiveness which is counterproductive. And I think the idea of the alpha makes it so that you've got like if you've got a group of guys who are all trying to be alpha, they're going to be competitive and they're all going to be dicks because they're all going to be trying to compete and show who's wittiest and who's whatever. And it's even like, well, I don't know those like screenshots I took and it's like how to be an alpha. It's you go in and you, you shake your hand. You, it's like you stand in a certain way. And I've seen this data videos of you have to stand like this and you have to stand at the door and pause. And it's just ridiculous. Um, like, like that's going to impact over, you know, 20 years. Is, it, oh, I don't, is that even going to get someone laid, let alone 20 year relationship? Then the performance takes over. Some people get stuck in the performance and they don't realize that they are stuck. And so their own personal development has been stymied by paying all of this attention and trying to hone the performance because like anything else after a while it gets boring to the onlookers and you need to keep adding to the act <laughs> and then there's nothing worse than a, than an aging um peacock with his feathers falling out trying to preen as though he still got them all <laughs> what does, what happens then then he becomes kind of desperate and so you could end up looking quite sad mm. 
And being sad too, because you've lost a big proportion of your life where you could have actually grown mm. as, a, as a person. Yeah, it, it, that, what comes to mind is um, the figures of, I don't know, this is quite an old one. I don't know if it, how relevant it still is, but how many men die soon after retiring because their loss of um, purpose. Uh, Nancy. Yeah, just just something I'm trying to get clear. I mean, I, I fully agree with everyone about the alpha you know, stereotype being a myth and how, you know, everything is, you know, we're all a bit of both what are considered kind of typically feminine or masculine traits. I agree with that. I and mean, what you were saying about everything that sells kind of sells to a stereotype because it's feeding on an insecurity. But what I find is that we just kind of keep going around in a circle. The stereotype feeds the insecurity and the insecurity keeps feeding the stereotype because that image, you know, people aspire to that image. Oh, I have to be like this. I have to be like that to get this because I don't feel well enough in myself otherwise. You know, why does it, that's, that's the thing, you know, it just continues and continues and continues and we're not gonna kind of move on from that. Yeah, it's it's like um, there's a chain of, you know, my parents did this, their parents did this, their parents did this, and that there's a whole chain of pain um, somewhere. You have to break it. Yeah, Janos? What I see is the, might be the issue behind, we all try to competing. In the end of the day, forget about competing. Just spend enough time to know who you are. And after you can sell that product who you are, or actually just to bespeak who you are, to show who you are, be present, knowing yourself. That's all about, you don't need to compete if you are yourself, because there is no competition, just only yourself. Mm. Yeah, um, that's really true in that whatever you do is going to be different that you do, even if you and someone else do exactly the same thing, it's going to be different because of because of your, Sierra Iroh, um, we're, we're going to want to see this chest hair and skull chains. He's gone. He's gone when we wanted to see his chest. Um, okay. Um, yes. Whatever we do is going to come, like all of us, we're talking, um, and most of us have, have been here for a, a, a long time. We shared a lot of the perspectives. Um, but they all still come out individually um, because we all see them in slightly different ways. Um, and it's all from our individuality. So, yeah, I mean, we can compete in sports. We can compete in um, there's certain there's some ways like like even in um, economically, like businesses can compete because they have di they bring different things. Um, but really, it's about there's a competitive urge which we all have, but it's it's challenged to certain things, not being not who you're being. Um, and when we confuse that, what we're doing, we can be competitive in. 
Um, but it, when we're competitive in who we're being, um, that starts to we start to it starts to change the essence of who we are. I would say that's true. Um, I knew somebody intimately who would be described as alpha within his circles, and um, they were in uh, a, a type of accident. And do you know that like, I'd known him all those years, but it wasn't until he was vulnerable and stripped down because of this really traumatic experience that I actually met him. Does that make sense? And that all those years, all that time that I had known him, it was this, like you say, a facade, a build-up, something that was in front of that. And it was a, it was an odd thing to think, like, oh, this is the first time I've met you, but I actually, that is directly what I saw. So I think there's something in what you're saying. Okay. Um, were you about to say something, Sandra? Yeah, but um, it's interesting what Carl just said, because... People, you meet people like that who want to be in a, a relationship and they perform in the relationship to a certain extent, but what you are relating to as the other party is not the person, it's, not the, it's a caricature of the person that they present to you because the real person is hidden underneath and it to me, in some extreme circumstances, it would take a really special relationship or person to be able to withstand meeting that real person <laughs> underneath who they thought they were having a relationship with. It could be a big shock. Mm. And to me... Um, the stress of maintaining that facade must be really, really tiresome. It must be really like a ton of bricks on your shoulders. Hmm. And there's constant insecurity of being found out. Exactly. Exactly. Because, and the more layers of obfuscation and hiding and all the rest of it that go into maintaining that picture, that in itself is corrosive so so even though you you are yearning for a relationship that will give you some of the things that you probably are looking for you're doing yourself the biggest disservice by um for example well i i, I can't i don't know the details of that um lawyer that was it carmen who died and had two families and nobody knew about the second family you know that that famous lawyer man in london um i can't remember i think his surname was carmen something carmen but he had another george family carmen. pardon george carmen i think so i think he had another family oh no there you go. No, nobody knew. We had some other family somewhere else. So um, what does that say? Uh, is it that his home at home, something was really missing, so he had to go find it somewhere else? But then we, does somebody like that ever relax? Are you ever fully yourself? In Where, where are you, really? Mm. The question is, who, is who? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> 
and his children was the same name in the two families and the two wife was the same I name as well no or... <laughs> I, can't <remember laughs> the story. I can't remember the story but it's 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 and he's not the only one there's several famous people who you know what is his name the french one there um who also had a daughter who turned up after was it de gaulle after death and some other person but um to me you're carrying around a burden you can never be totally free. Hmm. Do you not think that that isn't too dissimilar to the side that we show ourselves to, say, friend A versus friend B, C, to our partner, to our mother, to so on? I don't know that there's deceit involved in those relationships. I think... Well, for me, I know that I relate to my friends differently because of their personalities, what they're interested in, what I'm interested in that coincides with them. And so um, I have different relationships with different people that show different sides of me. Um, and it's not that I'm being disingenuous to any of them. It's what's brought out because of the interaction. Yeah, I, I think um, we behave differently at a funeral to a party. Um, and so I think we can operate within a spectrum. And the environment and the context and the people we're with activate something. So I think people are different in different relationships because there's a different dynamic. Um, so uh, there's often someone who's in a relationship and they've been in a relationship for long time um, and they've never been romantic or they've never been um, whatever um, and then they're in a new relationship and they they're very romantic or very whatever and it's partly sometimes it's a reaction from um, not being in this to, to being in this but sometimes it's just different people there's a different dynamic in a relationship and it activates something else in them so like some people are more fun with some people or they're more relaxed with others. Um, so it's not necessarily that we're being deceitful or being different deliberately, but sometimes it's just we're responding to the context. Okay, um, I've got to go and be the alpha in a minute. Um, do Has anyone got any anything, any thoughts, insights, perspectives, on the alpha myth to share. Come on, Janos. Janos. I thought I thought Janos is clicking on there. He's about to. I might be. <laughs> in the end of the day, this is just a label. It's don't believe in that. You know, you have to be your own self. That it's nothing else more powerful than to be truly yourself, to be a truly unique and to be discover yourself and be able to show others who you are. Janos's thought of the day. <laughs> I, think, I, think that, I think that's good. I think it is another label. And I think there's so many labels that we, we use as laziness. I think the others just want to be sure they are a little bit stronger and they want to somewhere somehow easier describing to others rather than you know 
be more mystic, you know, a little bit like, yeah, I am like that. Mm. Yeah, it, yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of like the competitiveness of if I can have a label, I can be more more than you. Um, another golden, you know, another golden medal. Yeah. Okay. Any other insights? It sort of gives you permission, doesn't it, if you're given the label? Yeah. To to act that way. Mm. Well, then, if you're not given the label, then you you can just be who, like you said, who you want, who you are, who you want to be. At the end of the day. Yeah. But you shouldn't be given a label. No, I don't think anybody should be given a label. Mm. Yeah, and I think we should break free of the labels that we've been given. Because yeah. all of us have been given labels by family, school, um, work, anywhere like that. And the labels are just lazy shorthand. Uh, it's like uh, George Box says, every model is useful um, until it isn't. Um, and I think things like Myers-Briggs and people can get star signs and Enneagram and all of these things can be useful to a degree. Um, and then they become harmful. It's like people who've been in toxic relationships. Um, it's There's a stage where it's useful to know it's toxic, but then there's a stage where if you stay in it too long, it becomes limiting and it um, stops people from going past it. So I guess everything's right if it's used in the right context. Yeah, I think all of these things are tools. So like knowing Myers-Briggs, I think is really helpful because it gives an explanation. But if you look at um, the groups of people who are in Myers-Briggs, they no, no, I'm like this because of I'm a, I'm a whatever. Um, and yes, yeah, so all of those. So, for example, in the toxic relationships, it's helpful to know it's not you because what people coming out of that all think is, oh, it's something about me, is me. Maybe I'm the bad one. Um, and so having that label is useful, but then it becomes limiting in the first stage of healing is awareness, but the next stage is like, so it's not someone's fault when they've become, when they've been in a, a toxic relationship and it's not their fault. However, there was a vulnerability um, that led them into it. Um, and because not everyone would have been in it, someone who was less, um, you know, like, so this is where um, a lot of them can label themselves as empaths. And say it's because I'm an empath. Uh, yes, but there's also, it's a bit more than that. Um, and it's a bit more in that everything is out there in relationships and it's about how you navigate through it. So um, someone else could navigate away from it. So where people use personality types to um, say, oh, to justify or someone, or or other people can say use trauma, um, and so many women stay with men, um, and I, and this is sexist and probably a generalisation, but what I see, because the man says, oh yeah, but my my mum wasn't there, and my mum was cruel to me, or this happened, um, 
And that can be a justification the first time. But the second, the third, the fifth, the tenth, the twentieth time, it's not a justification because you're an adult. You can get over that once you're aware of it. Um, I think part of it is being afraid of being authentic. And another part is laziness. And, and it's not even actually laziness. I think it's more fear. Um, change is hard. Change is scary. Um, to actually grow up um, past our like childhood wounds takes effort and it takes facing demons. It's easier to say this happened, therefore I this is the way I am. Um, so yeah, I think people do they use their masks to excuse. I think the basic dynamic is that no one wants to change. They want the other people, <clears throat> they want other people on the outside world to change. So whenever someone says, uh, right, and this is a common one, is like, oh, dating sites are terrible, dating sites don't work. What they're really saying is that I really, it needs to be, you need, to, if you want to, like dating sites have the easiest access to people. So therefore, if you change how you navigate them, it's the quickest route to finding someone. Um, but to say I don't use them because they're toxic or whatever is the same way that people say there's no good men out there. There are good men. There are, or that women are all only after certain things. There are but you have to change the men or the women that you're connecting with. You have to change how you navigate around them um, in order to get different results. If that makes sense, I don't know if I've gone off on a tangent. But really, I think people, it's people, when people are frustrated, it's easier to use a label as an excuse. Um, and so people want their partner, they want the world to change because naturally, um, and I think someone mentioned this, but we are, we are all selfish, um, that we all want to believe the best of people, but at our core, we're an animal. At our, like, most basic reptilian brain is animal-like that we want what we want. So the ability to um, have a relationship, a successful relationship, means that we have to override that. Because the when two people get in a relationship, there's the gap. This is my dream. This is my dream. And a relationship of control is trying to pull someone into your um, into your vision. Um, but a relationship of freedom is when you break that model and you rebuild a new. So there is, in everything that we do, the debt that we have, the um, excess weight, like when we want to get in shape, um, everything like um, achieving whatever you want to achieve at work means that we have to change. 
but we always get frustrated and wish that the world will change. Um, so labels and excuses are a way that we limit ourselves and we justify the fear and anxiety of change. And that's quite a long mon monologue. Um, okay, any anything else before we go? Any other insights, perspectives to share? So we need to learn not to fear change then, which means to um, ways of learning how to not be afraid. Mm. No, I don't, I don't think we can. I think fear relationships like success survival and meaning are something that's ever present in our life and it's developing the relationship with that so you're always going to be afraid um you're always going to be discomfort like have discomfort um so it's it's changing the relationship and embracing fear Actually, I think my term should be managing fear. Mm. Oh, managing fear. Sandra, yeah. fear has to be there. You just still need to go for it. You decide if that's fear actually reality or it's just kind of can stop you. In any day, does somebody get hurt physically? Not really. If that somebody can die from it, not really. So go the for it. Or you can die from it yourself. <laughs> then it's over. Yes, Sandra, I would be happy more to live five minutes like that than 50 years with the scarcity. Okay. Would you live 50 years just in the bed, in the bedroom, and no. just to sleep, eat, live, repeat, or be fucking enjoyed? <laughs> Jump out, do it, dance it, whatever. Just go for it. Enjoy it. Okay, buy me an F1 car and take me out on one of the one of the tracks. I, I mean, I may not live to see the end of it, but that would be the dream. <laughs> you see? So you got something, but you will risk it. It's, it's risk-taking. That's all about the life. It's, it's always there. There it's always. Even the biggest people do have, but they put that behavior, they're putting their hands even like that there. Even if just one person successfully. You go for it. But an inability to manage fear, though, has held many people back. Uh, I mean, it's a reality. And, um, yeah, the butterflies in the stomach, yes, we learn to handle that, you know, exam jitters and all of that. But there are fears that can cripple people where they literally can't operate, they can't move. And that's what I'm talking about. Learning to um, control. You accept that fear is there. It is a risk. It's just getting up and getting out of bed can be um, a dangerous exercise. But we do it sometimes in the dark without even thinking um, because we just have to do it. It's, but there are types of fears that... Um, cripple people to the point where, where they literally freeze and can't operate. That's true, Sandra. When I was younger, I had that situation 
where literally my brain freeze my whole body for over an hour from my head down. I couldn't move anything. Doctor had to come with the adrenaline to inject in my shoulder. And after finally half an hour later, it started moving my body. So I know how it's weird. But as Michael Jordan said as well, fear is just a fucking program. It's only exist in the future. Stop you to do something. He said as well, 70% of the times he missed the balls, but he still went for it. And he was the greatest basketball player. And he said that he had the fear. So if he can do, why we cannot do? I think people are paralyzed by their fear, but that's about, it's about managing your relationship to fear. It's about fear. And I think most of what, when you look at like the cultural myth is like, we want the lottery, to win the lottery and find the one and be happy ever after. They're both an attempt to not have to really engage with life. They're both an attempt to say, okay, that's ticked off, that's ticked off. Because what it's about is I don't want to have to deal with the fear of life. I don't want to have to deal with the fear of insecurity. And yet, I think what those myths, um, what those myths do is that they give us false comfort. They feel like there's, there's a sense of like, that's done and we don't have to worry about it but the reality is that even if you have money you have to worry about losing the money you have to um there's a much more complexity because you like if we all got millions um and we were told that this was it um there'd be people like where would you where do you put it because you put it in a bank okay only so much of it is secured what if the banks go bust um if you put it in investments what if they all go bust so it's not as straightforward as thinking we'll never have to worry about it again. And it's exactly the same in a relationship. Just because you've found someone who you think is the one doesn't mean that they're not going to die. doesn't mean that the relationship isn't going to change and they're always going to be there. So this is why relationship is a lifelong journey. And in the same way, fear is a lifelong journey. It's always going to be there. Whatever you do, there's going to be fear. And it's about how do you live with the fear? Um, but sometimes it's not the fear itself. Some It's the fear of, the fear. Of, of not succeeding, of, of being called a failure. Hmm. But that's, isn't that fear? Yeah, but it's the label. The fear, Okay, the, fear, the thing itself is not the insurmountable object. Hmm the notion that people will then label you. So the act of trying is not the fear itself that you may not succeed, but it's what people do with the knowledge that you did not succeed. Yeah. That sometimes squashes you from even trying. Mm. Because there's fear, then there's fear underneath fear, and then there's fear underneath fear, and there's fear underneath fear. So I believe there is only, the only emotion core is life, which is like happy, joy, love. Um, and then it's about fear, how much the fear is blocking it. So the extent, like completely blocked is fear, half blocked is anger, um, 
um, like pessimistic is sunblocked. So it's like a emotions or a kaleidoscope, depending on how much fear is blocking it. Um, so, but everything is the fear. Um, and it's fear of what people say. It's a fear of what will happen. It's a fear of will I cope if it all goes well? Fear of um, like who am I to have this and and all of those kind of things. But they're all underpinned by fear. And so the real core, most people are driven to want a relationship because of the anxiety, because of the anxiety that they'll never have the relationship they want. So it goes straight from breakup to <clears throat> I'm going to be a lonely old cat lady and no one will ever love me and I'll die in my home and you'll be days later. Um, and that is where people go. This is why it's so hard after a breakup because people immediately, the way that the brain works is it snowballs and catastrophizes to the worst instance. And that's all about, so a breakup is really about fear. It's not about the other person because the other person, it was what it was what that you felt while they were there. Um, and so when the person's gone, five years' time, you've met someone else who's, who you're so in love with, you won't care about this person. You care about this person now because they symbolise the fact that your future is gone, the future that you dreamed of, everything you can see in the future is entwined with them. And because that's seems to have gone is fear it's fear that people makes the breakup str uh, struggle that i'll never meet anyone like that again no one else will love me like that i'm going to be on my own because i look at how that hard dating is so a lot of what we think is um loss and pain is really about fear but rob think about that as nicole said as well Fear, it's a fuel. For me, definitely. You just need to learn how to use that. For me, it's actually a transcendence or just simply a catalyst to go for the anger. And after anger, you go to the courage and you go for it and you do whatever it happens. You should not stop at that level. Go deeper on it because we all try to suppress it, that feeling rather than go Go deeper and go to the anger and go to the courage after and you will go. That's what the supporters are doing as well. How they're encouraging each other. They're actually bullying each other for a second, yes? The thing is, if you don't fail, you're not going to succeed because you don't know how to fail. So you have yeah. to work on what you, what you failed from and how you failed then you build it up and build it up from that to learn how to succeed. Yeah. Because if you've ne never failed, you're never know, going to know how it feels. Yeah. What and, it feels like. Um, and so that that's... Um, I've got too many things in my head. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's uh, uh, good night, Agnes. Um, it's the... Right. So first of all, the fear of failing um, is because we've been taught that the great, like the great man theory, which we talked about, which is like the alpha male, there's, there's certain people who are just perfect. So like the epitome of alpha male is James Bond. 
um, because James Bond is always cool. He's always suave. He always knows what to do. Um, right. And so that whole model, uh, lack of school, means that failing once. So at school, nobody, or definitely um, they didn't in the past, um, you don't go, okay, fail, good, because now you're going to learn. Um and there's all these kind of like graphics on social media of like fail, 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 fail. Like this is what success looks like. But everyone thinks he goes one to like straight line. Um, so failing is actually how we learn. It's like a, a toddler keeps falling over in order to learn how to um, how to like do it better. Um, and this is what uh, um, in the talent code. Um, Owen Coyle talks about um, is that those failures, what they it does, like it's not practice that makes perfect, it's perfect practice. So the like the when I talked about the Russian Tennis Academy, that what they did was they did a certain type of practice. Um, and people who really practice effectively is they'll go to the point where it breaks, um, and then they'll go to the point and they'll keep going to the point they keep going to the point and what they're doing is when you do that you build myelin sheaf around uh neural neural connections and so as you do it and, and you go further and further and further that you um hardwire the change that you want to make but like like you say sarah it has to come from failure but the problem is, and this is like the idea of finite and infinite games, is we think when a marriage breaks down, that is failure. Um, we don't think about the relationship journey. We think about the momentary success. So we're taking snapshots of what's happening in the moment as opposed to recognising that success comes after many failures uh, what are we downloading is this you in the formula one car because janos when you were talking in um of like go for it i'm thinking oh my god him this man in a formula one car is going to be a maniac i wish to be but probably i'm told for that by now no chance to be a schumacher again you know? sorry no chance to be a Schumacher, you know. I miss that. I can't be beat him eight years, you know. I'm told for that now. Yes. I was, I was going to ask Sandra something. Earlier you was talking about that you, you wouldn't be interested in, like, changing or growing or developing in any way. Do you think that's healthy? I mean, or do you just think there should be a man out there who is submissive enough to take you fully and should should just accept you. I mean, what? How are you processing this? Oh, I don't think you could ever think that I would not change anything. I'm talking. Okay, I am me. Yes, the essential me. But I am a uh, what you'd call it now. I am still evolving. I'm still changing, right? But the essential core me is me. 
in other words, I argue, I will not put up with nonsense and I will stand up for myself. That will never change. <laughs> okay. So there are things about me that will be, that are constant. And if you can't cope with those, then I think it's best we say, just nice meeting you, just nice knowing you, but really um, we rub each other the wrong way because you are and you are but i am very flexible if you are willing to meet me part way i will meet you part way on some things okay I, I, no 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 i i i i i think that essentially there's a core in everybody that that makes us who we are and then there are certain things that we, layers that we develop over time. And some things need to be changed. Yes, because um, they may have resulted as a, come about as a result of unfortunate experiences that we have built up defenses or bad habits and those we can work on. But I think the essential core of us, um, you know, unless it's something that's really corrosive, it, it's it's us. It's what makes us who we are, and we can't change. Mm. My I father, think... if he was still alive, he will tell you, yes, she was in the front of the church when stubbornness was given out. She was number one in the queue. And you have to believe him. But my stubbornness has got me where I am because... I have done things that I wasn't supposed to do. My mother thought that I should be a nice secretary behind a desk in some office and I should be a clerk except that I went into a fish pond and I was farming fish with men, you know, and digging fish ponds with tractors. I loved it. I thought it was the best thing that I could do, but it just didn't fit the stereotype because I'm stubborn. Yeah, I guess and this isn't really a personal thing. I'm just trying to understand no, the psychology. Yeah. No, I'm trying to understand the psychology of a person who says, no, I am fixed, I am this, and this is it. And I just, yeah, I, I see your point now. Um, but you also did say something really positive, which is you would be willing to meet people halfway and that actually it's about reasonability, but there are levels within you that won't tolerate X, Y, and Z. But I don't want to go back to that model because it was poor, but do you not think that there are, like you said, corrosive behaviours? Like if you're overtly fiery or um how can i say like short fused surely those are corrosive things they can cause damage real quick yes i agree i agree and i think that it's um something that if you recognize that as a shortcoming in yourself that you can work on it um and you should be mature enough to be able to see it because it does do damage to people who are close to you and if you recognize that what you do and how you behave um and i've had it in my family i i had an aunt who was a school teacher and she was the most caustic person she she could break you okay and um and that didn't go over well with us young children because we just thought that she didn't love us at all. But, um, and she never changed. But the thing is, uh, I, I think self-recognition is an important thing. And there are certain characteristics that are you and you need to recognize them. The other things I think are learned behaviors on top of those essential 
characteristics. And those are the ones that I think that um, can be changed. And then again, we behave differently with different people because there are some people who, um, if they're with, if I'm with them, I don't talk. I listen, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> and there are some, <laughs> and there are places where I'll be me and I will be alive wire. So, what can I tell you? I, I think um, when we talked about in the Think Free Rebellion, um, I think there's a core, there's an essence of who someone is, and and I think. That's really what Sandra is talking about. That's not going to change because that's who I am. But I think the ways that we get off course, and sometimes it's helpful. Like I think we grow in relationships. We grow in a good relationship because they point out, and I think there's three key areas, is dogma, something we've been taught that isn't true, Um where we've got dated maps like ignorance of we think this is right but it's not and that's where when we're challenged um that can change and also emotions so being an emotional reaction is is not the core of who someone is someone can be emotional but the emotional reaction is not who they are um so i think in those three ways they're the ways that people can change. But changing the essence of who you are is um, demeaning yourself. I, th I think we, 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 we need to um, always try to be fair to, to, other, to others um, while also being true to ourselves. And um, I don't think we have actually discussed um recognizing when a relationship is not right for us it, it doesn't bring out the best in us um and how we navigate um dissolving this you know that or you know removing ourselves from that um type of relationship and i don't think that um Moving away from a relationship necessarily needs to be uh, disgusting, demeaning, horrible, painful, um, you know, revengeful type of activity. I think that's also something that we need to learn because some, some relationships do run their course. And it's a, that's also something that I think we need to navigate. How do we end? something without demeaning either party mm. or all parties because sometimes when you're married you're married to both both families come together and you have to navigate all of those other relationships as well as well as children and it's again it's another thing that we are not taught to look at as a possibility when we are entering into a relationship into a marriage for example it's till death do us part that's the vow yeah. <laughs> sickness and in health and in <laughs> you know for richer for poorer but not to look that there is a possibility that this thing could actually come to a a halt you know an end for, for me i think what happens is because people working from a flawed model they get frustrated and when people get frustrated they blame 
um, they look for an ex- they look for a reason or an excuse, and they blame that, and so their frustration becomes at their partner. Um, and so the longer they stick, the more frustrated they get, and they then demonise their partner. Um, and I think it's really important to be strong, tell the story that makes you strong. Like there's no nothing to be gained in um, like self-flagellation. Um, but equally, you also have to make the other person strong. And if something doesn't work between two good people, then it's not necessarily that one of them is bad. It's just something didn't work. And when we can hold on to that um, and be more conscious and really more aware of the real reason of why the relationship's breaking down, broken down, then there doesn't have to be the recriminations. See, I think the, the flawed model makes us blame the other person. Um, And so this is why so many people hate their ex, um, when often it's just they did things, like we do things that we're not proud of because we feel bad. Um, And they did things that they're because of the situation we're in. Um, So I think it's more helpful to have a narrative that makes both of you strong. Um, and rather than wrong. I think no, it's just, sorry, sorry, Carl. No, I was just going to quickly say, but then again, at the same time, if somebody has exhibited poor characteristics of like, you know, uh, 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 explosiveness and things like this, uh, what, what are you supposed to say? How do you empower that? Um, it's not empower that. Um, So people do bad things, but mostly people do bad things when they're fi- when they're below. This is like the line. When they're below the line, they do bad things. All of us do. Um, so it's recognizing that if they're below the line, either is something going on in their life, something that's nothing to do with you, or the relationship has a bug in it, which is causing you or probably both of you to be below the line. And that's why the behavior happens. So, for example, when you look at most relationships break down, they break down because someone did something, Um, whether it's they cheated, whether they betrayed them or whether they lied or whatever. But that is the symptom of the relationship not working for a long time. Um, And... When we're like when our freedom is cut and when we're unhappy and we're stuck in like this room, we go we go crazy. Um and people do that emotionally in relationships. Um and that is why there's so much bitterness. Um and there are some people who will go out and hurt people, you know, like sociopaths, narcissists, um, that, like, you you can't be in a relationship with someone like that. But then there's other people, mostly, it's mostly good people doing bad things. Um, and it's either they didn't have the capacity 
well, ultimately, it's because they didn't have the capacity, but um, sometimes it's just because the relationship dynamics wear them down. But uh, Carl was talking specifically about um, explosive behavior, though, and I think in some instances that could be learned behavior in, in, in terms of, of their socialization, um, could be um, trauma from other experiences. And um, it's possible that that then becomes their default. So they are reacting and probably there needs to be a way to find out how they can unlearn that learned behavior and learn to react in a different way. Um, and so it's sometimes you can't, sometimes, you know, writing off people because of, 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 of something that seems like, to, like it's a character flaw is like admitting defeat to a potentially very good person. Because <laughs> it might be the one thing that really stands out as being something that is difficult to cope with, but is not an intrinsic part of the person um, in the sense that it can't be modified or they can't learn new coping skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that really brings us a full loop um, because that's um, the idea of um, alpha really is, um, and I forgot my train of thought, um, but yeah, there, there was, yeah, I mean, I saw that as a complete circle. I don't know if you see the same thing. You mean unlearning, unlearning some of those behaviours that you would think yeah. are alpha type yeah, characteristics. Because, yeah, because people are learning behaviour to be an alpha, um, and yeah, what they're really doing is creating a problem. Um, and whereas you're recognising that um, other problems are, are created by other things that have been learned that we're not aware of. Um, and yeah, there, there is a cultural difference that some people being emotional is um, natural for them. Um, for others, it isn't. Um, so like stereotypically, women are more emotional, men are, are more stoic. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's difference. Mm. Um, yeah. All of these things are very about nuance. Yeah. Because if you take them as literal, and this is the problem that so many people are watching these videos and they're taking it literally, it's it's nothing is literal. There's there's a really fine balance. But then surely those things come out as you get to know someone. You see the personal characteristics. Um, there's just so much that you can hide in terms of your emotional makeup and how you react to certain things. And if you're observant, you will see those things. Um, and then you, you have the ability to, before you get too committed, decide that this is something that I can't cope with. Um, this is alien to my persona. It just doesn't go with my character. You know, this I can't sustain a, a, a relaxed and committed relationship with those those types of traits um but sometimes i think we 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 give in to the oh i'm so in love i'm so in love it will conquer everything and it doesn't but we already know that these things are difficult things that that's the point i'm making we, we know the reality but we 
choose not to act on them. Yeah, I, I think something that I've kind of witnessed, which I really appreciate everything that's been said tonight, is that if you try to communicate something and somebody's first reaction is short-temperedness, how can you ever get anywhere if you, you don't feel able to communicate? Um, that, is, that is never going to happen. And I mean, I know that in some of my childhood relationships that were based on fear, you end up lying to avoid the thing. But then this is why I developed a little bit more honesty, I, I hope, in so much as I realised that if you lie to them, it makes them even more angry. <laughs> so I learned, I learned to, you know, have some honesty there. Um, yeah, I, I guess being able to talk is the first point. And I, I really appreciate what you said, Rob, that actually it's not always about their their core personality and it's, it can be a good person just in fear or expressing something. So sorry if I've gone off topic, but yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you, everyone. Again, um, I've got to go because I've got to let this puppy out. Um, have a good week. Uh, so next week we're on Wednesday. Um, and so we've just got, uh, yeah, any um, questions? We're just going to try and be more like just an open session, really relevant of any questions you've got. Um, and we all can all share ideas to try and find answers. And we'll meet the puppy. Well, if I held him here, he would, uh, he would be biting me. Um, I, can, <laughs> I can show you some videos of him. <laughs> At the moment, he's well. He's okay until he gets excited. Oh, um, okay. and then he, he gets excited and runs around, and uh, he wants to fight. Um, so, <laughs> uh, and I know you'd love it sitting there watching me get him. Ah, something else for male. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's cute. <laughs> okay, well, have a good week and see you next Wednesday.